As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, your genial host Danny Kelly, are The Athletic's James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Hello both of you. Coming up in today's episode, who knows where it will take us, how to replace Spurs' irreplaceable former striker. I will be using his name, the script somehow doesn't mention it. Inverting the fullbacks and our belated um, seasons predictions. They were, of course, held up by the uh, fact that we had to do two and a half podcasts about Harry Kane's departure there. I said his name. Let's start with, though, how to spend the money earned from the sale of he who shall be named quite a lot in the podcast. Um, Charlie, you wrote a piece last week um, looking at how Spurs could replace him. Um, among the possible options you mentioned were the Brentford striker Ivan Tony against Gift Auburn, Nottingham Forest, Brennan Johnson. Are they any closer is that list have been narrowed down are they any closer to someone and who is the best profile I'll ask you both uh, to you know you can't replace Harry Kane so you've got to have another another striking team unless as we'll ask unless Richarlison is really going to do the job yeah I mean obviously before for, for about the last year you know they started succession planning for what it would look like what a world would look like without Harry Kane just in case he went obviously he now has gone so they did look at you know a, a big name, you know, Osimhen, Napoli, Evan Ferguson. Uh, don't know if you call him a big name. <laughs> Evan Ferguson, big name. He's clearly gonna be a big name. Rasmus Hoyland. Yeah, but this is the thing, Danny. This is what's so ridiculous. Hoyland cost some like seventy-five million euro, uh, seventy-five million pounds. He scored nine goals last season. And what would Ferguson? What would Ferguson cost? Uh, we, we were talking just before we started recording about like the value of these players and how Spurs might need to stump up the cash. But I bet. I mean, what would Brighton want for him if they've just got one hundred and fifteen million quid for Caicedo? I suspect. It- if if somebody paid in the next twelve months one hundred and fifty million for Evan Ferguson, I wouldn't be remotely surprised. Yeah, if he gets twenty goals this season, then yeah, definitely. I I don't, I don't think that's ridiculous at all. I think, and even now, I reckon if you they, they'd be asking for about a hundred million. For yeah, him. easily. Yeah. Why would Why wouldn't they now? Yeah. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> well, ask Liverpool for it, and then hope that Chelsea might come in and gazump them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so he he was someone they looked at. Obviously, he's just signed a big new contract. Um, they, those were all deemed out of reach. One, one sort of big name that would come in and replace that could come in and replace Kane is Ivan Tony. That's a really intriguing one. That's one they're going to revisit potentially in January, obviously with him being banned until then. But I think broadly, the idea is that, well, and and I think a lot of people will be saying, well, yeah, that's because you couldn't get a big name. They've pivoted to more of a bringing in a few people between who they'll kind of make up for the loss of goals and assists. One of them already came in and that's James Madison for £40 million. You know, that that's the thing. They... I think quite a lot of the money, the Kane money in inverted commas, you know, a certain chunk of that, potentially quite a big chunk, depending on how much, you know, that, that's not their only revenue stream, but they've already spent 43 million on Van der Ven, 40 million on Madison. I mean, the, the strange thing is Spurs, in, in a fairly low key way, they spent about 115 million on players, um, you know, Madison, uh, Van der Ven, Vicario, um, Valise, Phillips. And then obviously they've also spent an additional 65 around on making Poro and Kulisevsky permanent. And I know a lot of people, again, a lot of people say, but, you know, we, we knew that money was coming. So they have already spent quite a lot. Then the, the other names that keep coming up in my conversations are Gift Orban, um, the Ghent striker, who is a really exciting prospect. And as we reported in that piece, his numbers are extraordinary and obviously Spurs have this new, more data-led way of looking at players and the numbers there are, the data on him is incredible. Can I, can I, just, can I, can I interject there? Sorry. Do you need a data-led approach to see he's got like 30 goals in 30 games? Is that like, I'm oh, sorry, top-end data that? 15 and 16 or whatever it was. The only thing I'd say about that, and of course this is the, 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 the gamble with every player you're bringing from overseas, he is playing in a league where Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld are the outstanding defenders. And, no, and that's no disrespect to either of them. Of course, legends and great players in their time, they're holding down places, places in the top teams in Belgium. No, and exactly. that That's the dilemma. And that's what they're trying to weigh up. Are these numbers uh, that are, you know, primarily because he's playing in not such a good standard or are they just, yeah, they're relative to his development and he's going to keep getting better and could do that at Premier League level? Um, then there's Bren- Brennan Johnson as well. He's a whole, he's a whole different kettle of fish, isn't he? He's he's kind of speed and uh, he looks like one that, from what I saw at Celtic, that Postecoglou would want to play wide rather than as an out and out striker. I'm just that's just from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the idea with him is that pr- primarily he'd come in to give Kulusevski some competition on the right because. We, especially with Hill injured and doubts as to whether Hill's going to be good enough anyway, they are pretty light there. Um, and especially if Kudusevsky for a player who hasn't been in great form, you know, if he's not delivering, what do you do? I mean, I guess Sol- Solomon can play on the right. Perro must be an option there as well. Yeah, Porro could be. Um, Did I call him Perro? That's a word yeah. for a dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Poor, he's Hercule not a dog, Poirot. is he? I, no. Hercule <laughs> <laughs> Porro, yeah, very good. To me, that sounds like a good combination of players, by the way, uh, Kulusevski and Brennan Johnson. Like as a mm-hmm. yeah. as two players vying for one position, like they're different types of wide right-sided players. I, I really liked Johnson when I saw him last season. Like I watched, there was a spell, I, I think we talked about it on the podcast at the time, actually just after Spurs had played Forest, where I ended up watching Forest like four times in five games or four in six or whatever. And everyone was going on about Gibbs White, but I was like coming away from those games thinking that Brennan Johnson was the one that I was really impressed by. I'm not, which isn't to knock Gibbs White, 
But Johnson, to me, looked like the one I would want to see at Tottenham. Let me ask you this question then, James. Um, I'm going to do the, I, this is one I would like to see at Tottenham. Please take your hands away from your face. I need to see your face. When I mention the name of Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> you don't need to see my face. Do you want my assessment of whether I think it should happen or whether I think it will happen? Uh, both, please. They're broadly the same. Yeah. But that, that laugh is probably pretty much the clue. I, yeah, I don't see any world in which that would be a good deal for Spurs. Like, I don't think he's a good fit for that system. And we, we talked about, like, how, you know, one of the kind of fringe benefits, one of the upsides of the massive downside of Kane leaving was you can play with this more fluid attack. I mean, I don't, I don't think a sort of 29-year-old, 30-year-old Lukaku with the injuries had in the last couple of years is going to add loads to a fluid attack. It, it does it does kind of stink, to, stink of, like... There's this talk of him going to Juve, isn't there? And there's obviously like a bit of sort of... There's certainly talk among him and his agent of him going to Juve. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but, I, but this is my point. I wonder whether this is like a sort of agent-driven rumour that... I think I'm right in saying, I think I'm right in saying, Charlie, there's not really anything in it, is there? Nothing. I mean, it's it's not going to happen. Um, Spurs, well, unless there's a huge... Uh, unless there's a huge U-turn, Spurs have been very clear this isn't going to happen. Lukaku's really interesting, though. Um, Sam Wallace wrote a good piece on this. Uh, in the Telegraph over the weekend, because him and Kane are a couple of months apart in age. And just drawing the contrast with them, you know, Lukaku was this prodigy who came through. I think he made his debut when he was like 15. I mean, it's crazy, really. And Neymar's probably now broken it. But up until then, Lukaku had more fees spent on him than any other player uh, ever in the history of football. But he's one of those people who there are very few managers you'd really say have got the best out of him. One is probably Antonio Conte. Uh, if only he was still at Spurs, then... Yes, if only. How I miss him. (laughs) So, Charlie, if I had to put it to you, will they sign an out-and-out striker or will they just have to bite the bullet and say, we think Richarlison is good enough to play that position and he is going to learn to play it in Postacoglu's system? Well, I think if they could get Orban over the line, um, you know, (laughs) assuming that they are all, that they do all come to the conclusion that, you know, he is someone that they want and that he could make that step up, but he's a really easy one to get over the line. You just give Ghent the money they're asking for. <laughs> yeah. So why are you laughing, Charlie? That is the truth of it. Yeah. It. it yeah. Yeah. It, it, I. I don't know. These deals somehow are never quite as easy as they seem. Um, and obviously, you know, selling clubs know that Spurs have just had a big injection. But yeah, I think Orban's one that uh, would be really exciting. But then I, I do also quite like that idea if they can't. Tony in January is a really intriguing one to revisit. I mean, I think he is absolutely brilliant at what he does um, and and scores a ton of goals. All right, let me just change tack very quickly here because I don't want to get into on these podcasts just merely speculating. Um, yours was informed speculation. I have read so much tripe. I know August is the month where you have to get your click clicks going. Um, what about another centre-half, Charlie? What's the latest on that? I mean, at the moment... I'm hearing more about outgoings than necessarily another centre-back coming in. I mean, I think another centre-back is... They, they they need to get rid of some of their centre-backs first before they can really start thinking about that. I mean, they've got so many. And, you know, if you think that Eric Dyer didn't make the squad even on the weekend, let alone someone like Jaffa Tanganga. Davinson Sanchez obviously has played well and come back into the picture, but my understanding is, you know, a, a good offer and he'd still be available. All right, let's let's move on to something else. One of the things we talked about briefly, and um, we decided we'd get uh, in the last podcast. We thought we'd get an expert opinion 
on it. I guess the genesis of the inverted fullbacks is Pep Guardiola and Philip Lahm all those years ago at Bayern Munich. Um, most Premier League teams are now inverting their fullbacks as once again, every coach is 18 months behind Guardiola, um, who's now gone to four centre-halves while we weren't looking. Um, and against Brentford, Spurs played with both Destiny Doggy and Emerson Royal operating in midfield when they had the ball. Um, let's get a breakdown on the benefits and drawbacks uh, of deciding to deploy this tactic. Here's the Athletics' uh, Liam Farm. One of the key tactical themes from Tottenham's first Premier League game under Ange Postecoglou was the use of the fullbacks. Now, this is something that's really become synonymous with Postecoglou from his time at Celtic, coaching in Japan and also in Australia, playing both fullbacks inside. We've, of course, seen that plenty for some of the top teams in the Premier League last season, but that was often just using one fullback inside. So the way that it worked, and this was particularly difficult against Brentford's 5-3-2, they played a wingback system but dropped the wingbacks deep. Because they defended a mid-block and a low block so well, they often congest these central spaces and they can transition so well out of that midfield block. Now what happened was, in possession, when they were playing against that mid-block, the left-back, Destiny Udogi, and the right-back, Emerson Royale, would move up and inside alongside Yves Basuma, effectively creating a three in midfield in front of the two centre-backs. That would allow James Madison, nominally number 10, to play further forward, and Ollie Skip, who was the right central midfielder, would play in advanced positions at times too, but would often rotate out to the right flank, actually where Emerson had vacated his position, in order to try and create some wide triangles and wide diamonds to progress the ball. This effectively allowed Spurs' wings to play high and wide, which became less effective because they couldn't overload the back line because it was a back five, and also because of how good Brentford's wingbacks are at defending 1v1 situations. But we saw plenty of instances of Emerson and Udogi underlapping really, really well in the build-up to the second goal, in fact. And Emerson actually ranked second among all of the Tottenham starters for passes behind Basuma. Udogi was fourth. So it showed just how central they were to the team's progression. And I think going forward, it's something we can expect to see and it will only get better. Brentford are one of the most difficult teams to play this way against, and we saw it in terms of the goals that Spurs conceded. Uh, the build-up to the penalty and the second goal both came from passes in behind the fullback and these switches of play that allow Brentford's wingbacks to push forward and also cause issues because Spurs were playing fundamentally two wingbacks primarily in fullback positions. So as a first step, I thought it was quite promising. Yeah, th thanks to Liam for that. A, lo a lot to digest there, and we haven't got a lot of time um, first of all, we are living in a pep world, aren't we? This is, he forced them all to do this. Now he's doing something else. It really is astonishing to watch. Um, what did you What did you make of it, uh, Charlie and James? Is this something that we're going to persist with, you think, for the rest of the season? Uh, it, it looks like the way he wants to play. Well, yeah, definitely. If if his previous teams are anything to go by and he's, we know he's pretty committed to his way of playing. I mean, I think it's such an interesting tactical development. Um you you are seeing you know it was something that was a bit of a novelty and a bit of a rarity last season and you know a bit before then when Pep was doing it but now you've got a number of teams that are doing it um, but yeah it, I mean it's interesting as well because Pep has moved having done it and seen other teams copying it he's sort of moving away from it I th one of his early inverted fullbacks Zinchenko Alex Zinchenko was quite interesting on he was talking to Rio Ferdinand about it and how it works as an inverted fullback and it's kind of what I was talking about the other day of how kind of what you're trying to do is isolate the winger against the fullbacks as, as Liam was talking about and the fact that that was hard you know, I mentioned that Kudrzewski and Son had their struggles on Sunday and as he's saying there part of that is because they have excellent wingbacks and they're playing as a back five but yeah basically what Zinchenko was saying is that what you're trying to do is either it, it should be win-win in theory if you can keep the ball because either if you're 
that inverted fullback, the the fullback, the opposition fullback comes with you, tries to mark you, and that opens up the space for the winger, or he doesn't. But then you've got space yourself to pick a pass. Uh, and I guess it's whether Royale and Udogi are, are good enough to do that. I think certainly in Udogi's case, he is. I think he could be really, really dangerous. Uh, so yeah, I think it's really exciting, um, and it does. It just opens up different passing lanes and opportunities for Tottenham. There's, a, there's an irony, of course, in this as well, isn't it? That it was Manchester City's, um, uh, you, you know, experimenting with this that has led to Tottenham's brilliant record against them, particularly at home, because Spurs just played the ball um, into the space behind the inverted fullback to Son over and over again. That's how they've won those games, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's simplistic, but that, that's what essentially has happened. So when he says the one more thing he wants in his career, Pep, is to win a game or even score a goal um, at Spurs, he might want to, well, he, he has abandoned that. I mean, where does this leave, James, in your opinion? It's early in the season. I mean, I, I have high hopes for Pedro Porro still, because I think he has a lot of very good basic building blocks for a Premier League footballer. That that physicality that he brings, the commitment to the, to the things he's trying to do, but um, you know, it, last season he wasn't right because he was he he was you know playing out of position apparently. This season they've changed the system and he's still not right for the position. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, I suppose you could argue it's it's sort of chicken and egg a little bit, but he was parachuted into a team with just about the point that they started playing badly. So I don't imagine if you're coming to play in a new league for the first time, that's going to be especially easy. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with you. I, there were definitely some moments last season where he looked defensively quite iffy. But at the same time, so, I mean, the finish at Leeds, I think we've already talked about it on the podcast afterwards. That was such a good finish. Was like one of the best finishes that we saw from a Spurs Bay last season, which given you know Harry Kane scored 30 goals, he was going some really. The Southampton one as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Oh, he's, he's right up there with Emerson Royal as a finisher. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. And I think I, I think we've talked about this before. Charlie's been quite dismissive, so we'll see if he's similarly dismissive now. But I, I can see him as like a, a an attacking player. And I know, yes, there is a difference between attacking from deep and attacking from further up the pitch and whether he can kind of, you know, pick the lock or whatever. But, yeah, I, there's definitely enough it's definitely a broad enough skill set for there to be a good Premier League player there. And I'd be really interested to see how he did playing in this role because he cl- he clearly has kind of the the engine to get up and down the pitch and his, his crossing is reasonably good. His finishing is definitely good. It's, it's how that all translates into coming inside. You know, like we were saying about Emerson the other day. Actually, it seemed to suit Emerson really well. It seemed to nullify the things that we've kind of previously asserted over being weaknesses. And Emerson is a, is a better positional defender, and he's better in the air at the back if the ball gets over the centre backs. He's a, these are these are things that will be taken into consideration. All, all of which kinds kinds of leads me to another thing from the game. We're we're still reviewing a game that four days. Forgive us. We will in the second half of the, today's podcast. We will have a a, a, a trivia quiz. There's going to be a regular Thursday thing now, um, replacing previewing European matches. But the player who was lost, in my opinion, at Brentford in the new system was Oliver Skip who was neither fish nor fowl in that system. Uh, there were times when I thought, and this is, you know, forgive me, uh, along with Pep Guardiola, I'm one of the great out there thinkers about modern football. Um, what if Pedro Porro played in that position and was was getting beyond, you know, along with Madison, getting right up onto the forward line? Would his power with the ball at his feet, 
Woody's shooting power have present, presented a much more difficult problem for Brentford than we saw with Skip. Now, I know you lose the, the, the defensive awareness and all that sort of thing, um, which in thir- turn brought me on to what I actually want to talk about, which is the return of Bentancur. Um, lots of people on social media pointing out, um, incidentally, you look very like him, Charlie, which I think you should take as a compliment. Um he has put on various Instagram accounts in the last few days. I suppose did it as well. He looks very, very fit for a man who's supposed to be very, very injured, doesn't he? You saw him doing those little, little bunny hops over those, uh, over those little hurdles. I mean, and of course I couldn't do it, but I'm looking at you two. You couldn't do it either. Charlie could probably do it. Yeah. James and I were talking about this the other day. It's when you are coming back from an ACL. I, I feel what tends to happen is because it's such a long time frame. It then gets. It's been now six months. Um, I think making that leap from being able to do bits and pieces to actually being ready to play Premier League football that is still quite a jump. Um, but I don't have a specific time frame on when he's going to be back. I mean, we were initially told, you know, the expectation would be about nine months from when he got injured, and that was in February. That would mean November. But you know, he may he may exceed that. It, that there is variance with ACL injuries. You get so used to not having a player like that, but that will be absolutely enormous. Just fingers crossed he comes back as good as he was. There is that psychological thing as well with an injury like that, right? Like you've been out for so long and it's going to be on your mind so much that with any kind of little twist and turn in midfield, is it going to be the moment where it goes again? We have seen, unfortunately, but it is an injury that does reoccur. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Lots to get through um, in the next 15 minutes or so. 
please don't don't believe that's going to happen. Um, but first, an innovation um, with Spurs foregoing the delights of European football for a season as they regroup. Um, some Thursdays we thought we'd throw in a trivia quiz. Now this should, as I say, be a friendly. Three minutes of, oh, do you remember this? And, oh, do you know about that? Um, but as I say, the competitive nature of everybody on this podcast means this could go anywhere. So in the blue corner, it's James, the brain's more. And his opponent today in the red corner, Charlie, Encyclopedia Eccleshare. Round one begins. There's no pressure, by the way, because this is absolutely James's area. So yeah, yeah. Shall I put my Harry Kane crown on while we do this? James is now putting on a very elaborate, ermine-trimmed, um, violet-coloured, golden crown. Um, it has, in fact, been on Harry Kane's head for a photo shoot that James art directed, if that is the correct expression. Here we go, James. Manchester United are just are just one of two teams yet to lose a Premier League match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Who is the other? Don't say Sheffield United. That won't qualify. Sorry, my microphone fell over. As, oh, yeah, yeah, Google. Um, yeah, it accidentally <laughs> fell onto me. <laughs> God, that's so weird when Mike's do that. What are the odds? Um... Danny, could you just repeat the question? I didn't hear it. Not yes, this to my. I mind. think I know. Uh, oh, you can repeat it. And Manchester United are one of yeah. just two teams yet to lose a Premier League game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Among those who are regulars, who are the others? Oh my God! Sorry, I, mean, I think I know the answer, but that caveat is crazy. Well, because otherwise you're uh, going to say Sheffield United, and you'll be uh, right. No, Sheffield United have lost. They lost four 0 in uh, okay, 2021. Yes, they did, yeah. Is it Liverpool? It is Liverpool. Okay. Yeah, I'm giving you one point for that. I'll be random okay. about the points. Okay, Charlie, here we go. <laughs> I think I know how this is going to work out. This is good. No, I've got nothing against you, James. Richarlison has scored 49 Premier League goals and could be the third Brazilian to break the 50 mark. Who are the other two in the Premier League? Easy. <laughs> two Brazilians have scored... 50-plus goals. Firmino? Is one. Roberto Firmino. Yeah, he's one. Another Brazilian has scored 50 goals in the Premier League other than Roberto Firmino. Who is it? Gabriel Jesus. It is Gabriel Jesus. All right, James. What was the score when Spurs beat Manchester United at Old Trafford? Sorry, when? (laughs) Well, it doesn't say that in the question. Sorry, sorry, sorry. What was the what was the score when Spurs last beat Manchester United at Old Trafford? Uh, was it six one? It was six one. October twenty twenty. My how the time flies and Tangay how the time flies. Charlie, to keep your level before we move on to historical events, what was the aggregate score from this fixture, Spurs Man United Man United Spurs last season? Four uh, two to Manchester United. This boy is good. Yep, 2-0 a victory for Manchester United away and a 2-2 draw at home. So that's good. Level as we go into the historical events section. That's fine, because this is the era I've been paid to know. So I'm comfortable, got both of them right. 
yeah. Historical right. is better fun. Okay, and I'm loving your your pre-excuses. They really are very good indeed. This 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 week's historical questions, and there are four of them. Everybody's two each. Hang on for grim life, everybody. Cover the years 2000 to 2009. Great era. Charlie, you go first here. How many days did Jacques Santini serve as Spurs manager? And I will accept ten days. either way. Days. Okay. Well, I think he. I think he would have officially been appointed like start of June and he went basically end of September so that's basically four months so I'm going to say 120 before you give the answer can I guess yes please because I feel it's like antagonised Charlie he wouldn't have taken over until after the Euros would he because he was France manager so I reckon he was oh, taking he was, over of like, course. like m- middle of July and it was like the end of October, middle of October, I think he went. So what's that? August, September, October. I, I, I'll say, I'll say ninety days. Okay. Charlie was wrong, but he was much nearer than you, so I've given him the oh, point. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Hey, it was one hundred and fifty-five days in total. What? One hundred and fifty-five days in total. They're all looking at things up now. James, concentrate your question. I can't possibly be right. I only asked the question, sir. I'm not blaming you. James, who scored Spurs' sole successful penalty during the League Cup final shootout against Manchester United in March 2009? Spurs lost 4-1 on penalties. Who got the Spurs penalty? Right. So, uh, uh, O'Hara missed. Obviously. Did Bentley miss as well? I'm not not interested in who missed. (sighs) Who scored? I have a feeling Vedrancho or Lucas scored. I've no idea why I think that. Uh, Vedrancho or Luca. It's correct. Very, very clever. Very, very good indeed. So following my controversial ruling, you're still level as we go into the last questions. Please, God, get one of these wrong so we don't have to have a tie break. Charlie, mm. Christian Eriksen. I have to think this one is very easy. It's too easy for the brain the size of yours, but here we go. Christian Eriksen is one of seven players to have represented both Spurs and Manchester United in the Premier League era. Can you name three others? Uh, seven players have played for Spurs and United. Uh, Carrick. Actually, yes, that's right, yeah. Berbatov. He's going to name all seven. He's yeah. going to name all seven. Yeah. Um, He's going to do Sheringham. There we go. Yep. So I've got the point. Yep. That's safe. No one can take that away yeah. from you. <laughs> <laughs> now this is just a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, See what you would have won. I don't. Know, I don't even can't think who else. There are. There, there, there must there, be. There, I mean. Uh, there, 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 well, there must be four. One of yeah. them is obvious. No, there's two more. There's three more rather. Because you know, Ericsson was one. Character oh, sharing three. Bow top three. There's three more. One of them is fairly obvious, and the other two you're going. Oh yeah. Oh god. Charlie, can I ha- shall I help you? Yeah, go on, yeah. The obvious one is Louis Saha. <laughs> I mean, if that's the obvious one. Yeah, it is. Okay. And the yeah. other two are, I mean, Louis Saha, desperate forward signing at the end of the transfer window. Come on down, Fraser oh, Campbell. Fraser Campbell. Fraser yeah. Campbell. And the yeah. other one is the lesser spotted Zeki Friars. Ooh. Zeki, okay. Ezekiel Friars. Did he play mm. in the Premier League for Manchester United? According to my, my questions here, okay. James, in future, could you set the questions and I'll answer them, whatever. <laughs> right, so to win and avoid the ignominy of a penalty shootout, James, 
Which club did Spurs sell three No, this players? is to level it, Danny. Is it? No, you didn't get that yeah. right. Oh, you did. I, I did get it right. <laughs> I did. All right, don't get this right then, James. Which club did Spurs sell three players to in January 2006 for a combined fee of 7.5 million? Portsmouth. Is the correct answer. Sean Davis, Pedro Mendes and Noe Pamaro. He of the massive, massive thighs. And so, to the chagrin of all, and with grim inevitability, <laughs> we have finished up level. Uh, note to producer, harder questions. These two are really, really bright, despite appearances. Okay, a tie-break question. Do fingers on, yeah, fingers on buzzers. Loosen up your fingers. Which unique feat in Spurs history did Paul Robinson achieve in 2006-2007? Charlie James scored a Premier League goal. I think Charlie as a goalkeeper. was there. Yeah, scored a Premier League goal as a goalkeeper. He said the answer without you saying. Well, that's okay, I think. Not sporting, really. Thank you very much indeed. Charlie, you are by the skin of your teeth and because of some pretty generous marking by me, you are the winner of this first Thursday trivia. James Moore, thoroughly beatable, they're calling him. To um to to uh, to ask a question that all pitchside reporters so pathetically ask now, James, how does that make you feel? Um, well, no, I just don't think the rules were properly explained. Well, you questioned every single question and and ruling. To be fair. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly because they weren't adequately explained, and then we ca- and then at the end, suddenly it's sa- whoever says their name first. If you think if you think we can afford VAR for the quiz, you've got another thing coming. <laughs> We've got it. It's all being recorded, mate. All right, let's um, let's quickly go through our our updated season predictions after uh, after Harry Kane's departure, because they all had to change, didn't they? Me, Charlie, and James will give our predictions. We've also got some from Jack as well. We'll, we'll go over to, uh, to, to and Tim as well. So here we go. Um, I was asked who will be this season's most valuable player, and I said this answer before the performance at Brentford, and my answer was Eve Bissouma, simply because the way Spurs are set up to play now, and it, I imagine as they get better at it, they will become increasingly so. Whoever plays defensive midfielder, Hoiberg, somebody that comes in, or as I imagine to be, Eve Bissouma is going to be one of the busiest players in the Premier League. And we saw Bissouma's stats after that game at Brentford. And this was a game, of course, where Spurs had a huge chunk of the possession. He was still beyond busy. And I think he will be the MVP by the end of the season. I really like him as a footballer. He's going to be great. Charlie, you were asked for your worst of the summer signings so far. Yeah, I was I was saying like as to whether that's just for this season who's going to have the worst season ahead out of those the guys signed. I mean, I presume that's what it means rather than sort of how they'll ultimately be judged because we won't know that for a while. I mean, assuming and we're talking relatively because basically Vicario, um Madison, Van der Ven, you know, they've all been brought in as starters. I think I think Van der Ven's going to be pretty good and I think uh, Madison's going to be great. So I think Vicario, probably, of those guys. James, your first question was, will Spurs finish above Arsenal? Yeah, it's a horrible question, really, isn't it? No, it's the answer that's horrible. The question's perfectly innocuous. That is a good point. Yeah, I have to say, unfortunately not. But I would suggest and believe that the gap will be substantially smaller than the 24 points of last season. Do you want me to give you a... I'll say six... Four points. Six, six points, six points, six points. If Spurs finish six points behind Arsenal, they'll they'll be in the Champions League. Okay, loving that. Thank you very much indeed. There's no room for, for negative Nellies on this programme. Um, the next one was, thank you for that, James. Uh, I was asked, uh, the this is the Cucci Romero Award, who will be the maverick of the season? 
And I'm afraid I'm going to say it's Richarlison because I don't know what's going to happen with this fella. He could be a jack-in-the-box that keeps on jumping into scoring positions and putting the ball in the net and getting booked for taking his shirt off and all the rest of it. Um, I suspect some of this may be done from the bench. Um, I like the fact that he's already got beef with certain other footballers um, due to uh, online interviews and all the rest of it. Um, I want him to succeed. I think, you know, I've not seen him play enough to say that he's a hothead, but I think he will be... If Spurs get going in this new system and he's required to play left one week, right the next week, reserve striker, coming off the bench, all the rest of it, I think he could be a very, very successful season for him. I also think he will do lots of daft things, so he is my nomination for the Cootie Award this season. Charlie, then, what narrative will dominate the upcoming season? Uh, I think there will be quite a tedious debate over whether I think the way the way this will pan out is that Postacoglu will get a lot of plaudits early on because he plays attacking football whatever but there will come a point at which they um, lose badly to a team they're expected to beat because they play in a certain way and there'll be a lot of pundits and whatever saying you know I'm, I'm sorry but I'm all for good football but there comes a time you've got to shut up. I'm sorry. Hello, Rio Ferdinand. Who'll be first? It'll be Ferdinand first, will it? Possibly, yeah. I don't care who you are. You've got to show more respect to the opposition. Um, and I think that will become a bit of a tedious uh, debate. You know how it would be with Bielsa every week or Basball? And it's like, come on. It's like, a really good shout. A, it's a really good shout. This sort of referendum each week as to do you believe in this way of playing? It's how he's going to play. Let's just embrace it. And I think that, and I think it's something that fans will get quite defensive over. Uh, it will be more from external people, but I think that will be a big uh, talking point. James, what reception will Pochettino get when he walks to the away dugout at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Well, first, I'm obliged to do my joke about him not being in the job, but I think it's November the fourth or November the fifth again. Yeah, yeah. So we'll do that. You know, Todd Bowley will get bored and sign another manager. Yada yada yada. Yeah, very uh, good. I do think it'll be quite weird and I suspect it'll be determined entirely by how well Spurs are doing and I guess Chelsea. Um, it's definitely, he's not going to get a warm reception. I don't really see there's any way that's going to happen. I've been really surprised and actually in a way quite impressed that uh, Spurs fans have, seems to have certainly on Twitter turned against him quite so uh, immediately. <laughs> are you are you the are you the leader of that re- rebellion? <laughs> Not at all. What what I DM DM people to egg them on is really none of your business. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't imagine that's going to be particularly great for him. So I'm going to be very unpopular when I say he deserves a huge welcome um, and a massive round of applause. Well, we'll see who's right and who's wrong when the time comes. I'm pretty confident. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting because. Because, you know, we know how we do these things work. I believe because I think he deserves a, a warm reception. Everybody else will believe exactly the same thing because obviously they would, wouldn't they? Um, I was asked this question. Will the view from the lane win another award before Spurs win a trophy? The answer, of course, is yes, um, because the awards for podcasts are handed out in December and the League Cup final won't be for about eight weeks after or 12 weeks after that when Spurs will indeed, of course, be lifting their first uh, which, f- silverware. That's the word, isn't it? Not goldware, silverware for a long, long time. Uh, first, they've got to get past that draw against Fulham. So, yeah, we will win another award before Spurs win a trophy. And now the critical question, um, one or two critical questions towards the end of this. Charlie, I'll ask you first, 
Where will Spurs finish? Uh, I think sixth, but playing enjoyable football along the way. That would put you in the Europa League, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. James, where do you think you're going to fi- fi- finish without Harry Kane? When we originally asked this question, my answer was third or fourth with Harry Kane, fourth or fifth without Harry Kane. And I, I would stick with that, fourth or fifth. Assuming that the English teams do as well as they should in the Champions League, either fourth or fifth would put you in next season's Champions League. I think I've got that right, Charlie. believe so, yeah. Well, I said, I mean, I was in a very emotional state when I was asked this question because the Kane thing was really bubbling up. <laughs> And I said they'd finished eighth or lower without Kane. Um, I do think, uh, you know, and I want the podcast to be celebrating Spurs win after Spurs win. I do think the teams around them have tooled up very heavily this season. You're right to say, this close season, you're right to say, Charlie, Spurs already spent 160 million. But the fee they got for Winks and Kane mean that the net spend is pathetic by comparison with some of their rivals, the Chelsea's, Arsenal's. And wait to see what West Ham spend before the end of this window. I admit that they've got the rice money as well. Um, I like a lot of the Spurs players. I like the players they've brought in. The manager may prove to be the difference in this and knit them together in a team that can finish sixth, fifth, fourth, as you say. I I think seventh would be a real a real good season for Spurs. If they play some decent football for the seventh, I won't be happy with that. But that's that would be what I would expect looking at the, at the team that is left behind. Because, of course, Spurs won't have to replace all of the 31 goals that Kane got and the assists. Didn't get that many assists last year. The team didn't function well enough for that because people step up. Nobody, you know, people will get, they will get goals. Um, I'm going to fall back on my thing. If they play exciting football and finish seventh, I'd be surprised and pleased. Now, and if that wasn't a hot take enough, it's time for our hot takes of the season. This could be about Spurs or anything else. Uh, James, where did you start? Well, when we were originally going to do this, Tim was going to be on the podcast, which made this first bit relevant. Although you might have noticed I did slip it in when we did it last week. So uh, Wolves, I think, will go down. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, when I said when I originally wrote that and sent it across to our producer, it didn't sound... It sounded like quite an edgy take, but since then, Lopetegui has left. I'd say, to be fair, they did very well on... Monday night as well, so yeah, so maybe maybe I've already been sort of uh, disproven. Anyway, um, one of Brighton and Villa, I think, will have a bit of a stinker, just mm. because, and I've gone about this a few times, those midweek games, I think, will bite hard. And we saw that at West Ham a bit last season as well. Um, obviously, you know, they went, they've two seasons in a row gone deep in the Europa League and then the Conference League. Yeah, caught up with them a little bit last season. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of the two of them maybe finish in the bottom half just on the basis of there being so many good teams in the Premier League and maybe they'll start slowly and give themselves too much to do. That sounds more like Villa than Brighton on the basis of what we've seen on the first weekend. Also, I'd say a subsidiary prediction that's nothing to do with the Premier League. Villa, Villa will win the Conference League. So any Villa fans listening to this are upset. Don't worry, you'll win the Conference League. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Unai Emery, it's a given. Yeah, yeah. Charlie, why oh, and you- I would finish my wacky predictions. Okay, sorry. I, one I, more, I, the most important one. All right, hold we go then. Old Schrader is going to be on the podcast this season. I, I tell you that for now. For now? Now, I tell you. Yeah. That's what's that's going to happen. We'll get him on. You can't predict things that we have control over. I don't control the stupid podcast. <laughs> you had that quiz. Yeah. Not one question was correct. Not one, apparently. Charlie, what's, what's, what's your piping hot take on the upcoming season? 
I mean, this is literally piping hot because I've just scanned the league table. Yes. Uh, Fulham are going to go down. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that is. But yeah. you heard it here first. Fulham, they're going down. We're looking for sustainable forms of energy to take society forward. That is hot enough that you could run a small town off it, couldn't you? Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, is incredible. Fulham, piping hot. all powerful Fulham going down. I know. <laughs> Sucking it to the man. The other thing is, I mean, there are too many big teams now that one of at least one of them will have a crap season, like Chelsea did, Spurs as well. Not quite as bad as Chelsea last season, but someone's going to have a bad season, and it's going to be Liverpool. My hot take is nothing to do with 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 these, but uh, I think something mad is going to happen with the Saudi Arabian league. And my best guess is that by this time, twelve months time. My best guess is that they will have arranged, I think the four nationalised Saudi Arabian teams will be in the Champions League next year. Next year? Next year, yep. Next year? Hang on. If I'd said a year ago, Neymar would be playing in in, in Saudi Arabia, you'd have gone, next year? Next year? I believe that the Saudi Arabian teams will be in the Champions League or the Europa League will be in the European competitions within the year. The thing I think might happen, and I know this isn't really what we're here to talk about, but it is interesting, is these those clubs kind of become like, maybe not so much franchises, but they'll become like sort of, tra- you know, like Harlem Globetrotter style travelling teams that will play their matches against each other in different places rather than just playing in Saudi. That's my prediction. Forget the Wolves thing. Now, listen, thank you very much for those. Some of them were very hot indeed. Too hot to handle. Time now for Tim and Jack to give their predictions. Who will end up being the best of summer signings? I'm going to be incredibly boring and say James Madison. I think he's a great player, proven in the Premier League, exactly what Spurs need. They haven't had anyone who can really create chances from open play consistently since Christian Eriksen decided he wants to leave. That was four years ago now. Madison's going to be a great player for Tottenham. I think it's a fantastic signing. Who will be this season's LVP, a.k.a. least valuable player? I'd say Pedro Porro. I just find it unlikely that Adoggi and Porro can both play in the same team, particularly in away games, just because they're both so attacking and there's two centre-halves who are also quite attacking. What will James be right about this season? Well, I think James has got an amazing knack of seeing the shit coming from around the corner before other people do and not getting wrapped up in optimism in the way that some people do if it's going to go bad i think james will sense it he's like a you know like a scientist in a disaster film he'll sense it before anyone else does how many goals will spurs concede with this new tactical approach i don't think as many as last season i mean last season was the second worst premier league tally 60 odd goals that spurs have registered since 1992 surely they can't be that bad i feel like it'll be easier to shore them up at the back than it will be to add more goals up front. My wild hot take of the season. Well, I actually don't think any of my hot takes are that wild, but I just think the gap between City and the other teams is too big, both in the Premier League and the Champions League. I don't think it's going to be competitive. I think the product, for want of a better word, will be bad. I think that the the new added time rules are awful. VAR hasn't been sorted out. And so, yeah, I think the overall picture will be bad. Tottenham might be quite good, but let's wait and see. Spurs will have two players nominated for the PFA young player of the year yeah I don't know this is a bit crazy don't know where this what part of the, my brain this came from but Kulisewski qualifies and Udogi qualifies yeah why not Kulisewski and Udogi young player of the year nominations where will Spurs finish this season well I had my fingers burnt by being too optimistic 
last year so i'm definitely going to overcompensate this year with some pessimism and say big transitional season new style of play big turnover of players in key positions especially question marks about the defense play a lot of exciting football but let's say let's say fifth place but with more positives than negatives. I think Spurs will finish in sixth place. I can see them finishing ahead of Newcastle. I think they'll flirt with the top four for a decent proportion of the season. I'm pretty optimistic. And yeah, sixth place, which would be good. Thank you very much to Tim and Jack. Perhaps we should have played those at the start because compared to the uh, hot takes you heard um, earlier on, that was all a bit mundane, wasn't it? A bit mundane. We've run out of time to do the Manchester United preview. Let me just ask you what you think the result will be. Charlie? 1-1. James, what do you think? Uh, 2-2 again. Okay, I'm going to say 3-2 either way. I don't know. 3-2 either way. Listen, that was just great fun. Thank you very, very much indeed for listening. And thank you to um, uh, James and Charlie for making it such fun. Uh, Just to remind you once again, the show has its own official home on Twitter. Not enough of you have signed up to that. We'll make it better when you sign up at VFTL Podcast. At VFTL Podcast for more comprehensive Spurs coverage. Make sure you sign up to Athletic. Take advantage of our deal of just $1.99 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. The Athletic.